Oh, shoot. <laughs> Welcome back to the Movie Overload podcast, where we cover 100 films. Wow, I forgot words. <laughs> Whoa, 100 films. Right there. <laughs> through the history of cinema, from right. A Trip to the Moon, all the way through Parasite, and everything in between, except freaking Woody Allen. Fuck that guy, man. Yeah. What the actual heck? Hate him. Yeah. What a <laughs> nerd. Wow. I was so excited about that intro and kind of forgot what I was talking about halfway through it. I think okay. I think it's the best one yet. Hi, guys. It was good. <laughs> uh, what's your name? Oh, hey. I'm Hannah. Nice. That's what, it. And what's, Hannah. what's your name? I think it's Hunter. Nice. Back in nice my village, they call me Hunty. Hunty. The village. I saw you from the village once. <laughs> I can't remember uh, if she says village. But. That's great. <laughs> Sorry. And you are? I'm Reese. You are? Hello. Hi. Hi. We think we're funny. We certainly do. <laughs> That's all that do. matters. <laughs> That's a joke about the movie we're going to talk about. Oh. Hannah, what movie is it? Today we're talking about The Passion of Joan of Arc from 1928. We are still in the 20s. Still in the 20s. And only one year at a time. It's a rip-roaring time, guys. This one was interesting. It pulled the strings of my heart. It really did. And it was my very soul. Emotional. It's yeah. a good time. It was, good. it was directed by Carl Dreyer. Beautiful. Thank Beautiful you. Beautiful pronunciation. YouTubed how to pronounce. You should have looked at how to pronounce pronounce. <laughs> wow. That worked out well. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll refer to him as Dreyer, even though I wanted to just call him Carl because. It was directed by Carl. Carl. <laughs> the 1928 like Carl. Yeah. That just resonated with me. Like, really made an impact that his that name was Carl. name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah. This one was interesting. I actually didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be more about the history of her mm. life, and it wasn't. It's just really about the trial. Mm. So I don't really know how to sum up the summary of the plot other than saying it just kind of recapped her trial and her execution. And I think he, he researched, like, actual accounts of the trial for like a year before he even made it so he was condensing everything um so it's a historic french film it's also silent Mm. it's a good time it's a good time i mean it will i don't know actually it was not a good time actually (laughs) (laughs) but um it's a good film (laughs) it's a good film uh I, i actually so i heard that and I don't know if you have more information on this for later, but I heard that it it's had like several different versions, and and the one that we had on Criterion had French subtitles, but apparently mm-hmm. there's also an edition in the Criterion edition. There's the original version which has Danish mm. intertitles. Yeah, I heard that. Like, uh, I think I read. Yeah, that it was the French ones were translated from Danish. From Danish. Yeah. Huh. So. I actually don't know. I didn't read that. I so just know it was, it was a French film. Yeah, like this, right. some French society actually asked him specifically to make um, a historic film for them. So mm. it was all in France. It might have been like a specific version or something. Yeah. They did release different. Um, different cuts kind of throughout. Maybe it was the specific copy that they found. It was Maybe. Danish. Uh, I think that yeah. might have been what it was. I do think, I do think like Dreyer is a Danish name. Right. Yeah. But I... It's interesting because at the again it's it's a French film because it's set in France. It's right, you know, Joan of French Arc. History. It's the most French thing ever, and it yeah. literally specifically says at the beginning, it's like 
something about like it, it strikes at the core of who the French people are or something like that. Like it's it said something about Joan of Arc being the like the quintessentially French mm-hmm. person. I just found it. It just says that the original version was Dreyer's version, very very French. But the next version of the film was produced by a guy named Arnie Kroll of the Danish mm. Film Institute. Okay. Mm. And he cut together scenes and sequences um, to make his own virgin hmm. version. Gotcha. Wow, I cannot okay. talk today. He made a virgin. <laughs> he cut together uh, his own virgin. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> I have not had a lot of sleep in the last 48 hours. Should not be doing this. Um, so, yeah delightful it was yeah it was very interesting um obviously and this is i guess if i just talk about like a lot of what i researched um it was kind of just a landmark in film history because of the way that they shot it obviously it was a lot of close-ups and that was pretty new Mm -hmm. and i mean there's like rarely a scene with two actors in it like you can you can't even really tell where they're standing in reference to each other yeah it's just their faces or it done in such a way that like it's a close up, but like it like slides mm, or yeah. spins, and you get like face, 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 and they just kind of and slide they're in so and out of smooth, frame. yeah, yeah. And great. there's not a whole lot of camera movement, which mm-hmm. people talked about too. Like but when, when they is, did use it, it was it very, <laughs> yeah, it was very poised. Whenever they there did were times use when it. it was like swinging back and forth sometimes, and there was the big like rotational shots from like above or below. Oh yeah, track like that one at, the in the courtyard where it like goes upside down, mm-hmm. following those mm-hmm. people, and then it goes still, in reverse. You still see or, that. Yeah, you still see that shot sometimes. And I'm, I, even when I see it in modern movies, I'm like, whoa, right? That's fancy. I remember uh. they did that in like Midsummer and stuff. I'm like, whoa. Oh yeah, and they, they did. did it in in this movie. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was super interesting. It's fun, gorgeous. Oh my gosh, like for me it's one of the most visually impressive movies that i've ever seen which is yeah. surprising because it again it's 1928 right. you would think that even just like film stock wouldn't mm-hmm. be good enough to be able to do what's done here it looks yeah. nice but also so i crisp. i like that it's almost all close ups because that um almost like i know that there is like a set obviously yeah. but it mm. doesn't feel like the sets are super like detailed and visually interesting yeah. and so they kind of make up for that by just having all of the detail in the facial expressions and the acting. It was so just, acting heavy. Yeah. Which I felt like was the first movie we watched that really, really relied on the acting. Because mm-hmm. we've watched silent films, so obviously the acting and storytelling is important. But they used other visuals to do that, like Metropolis. Right. And mm-hmm. even the general, it was like these other effects were being added in. Right. And this one it, was just so heavy. It's the one that definitely the has emotion. the most like internal storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like it's yes. about her conflict mostly. Just mm-hmm. on the inside. It's an hour and a half of just constant streams of yeah. tears. Literally, yes. And I like she's incredible. Mm-hmm. So I guess she she Renee Falconetti is her name. I accept that pronunciation. I, I'm just going to pretend to be confident about that. Um, she was a stage actress, and he was auditioning people and saw her and made her come back and was like, "Take off all your makeup. I want to see mm. you like barefaced." Hmm. do this performance and she did it and he was like that's her that's the one i need her to play this role um and it's just kind of iconic like people still talk about her performance and it sounds like he got pretty brutal with her Hmm. um like he was they literally quoted that he was this tyrannical director and he would make her just get down on her knees on the stone set and just 
take the same scene over and over and over again. And if she like would get upset or have expressions on her face, he's like, wipe that expression off your face. Mm. I need like emotionless for certain scenes Mm. to like, he wanted her to like internalize everything. So I think it was probably an emotional roller coaster. (laughs) That sounds like it could be scarring. Yes, just a Mm -hmm. little bit. So she went through a pretty heavy process. Um, I think it sounds like she disagreed. Like she wanted to be a collaborative, like have a collaborative experience between directing and her acting, but he Mm. was pretty forceful with only his interpretation. He just kind of wanted her to do what he wanted, which that's how a lot of directors are. Yeah, It's always awkward when you like see a movie with great performances like that. And you're like, wow, that's so cool. And then you hear that it's like, yeah, it's because a weird male director beat it out of her. Literally. The shining and stuff. Uh It's like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. As I assume a lot of Kubrick films are like. I, I don't know. I've heard. I just know that these kind of The rough. Shining specifically had stories about that. Hmm. Uh, something very similar. The Shining yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Just excessive takes, and she just got sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's rough, so. I but mean, it turned out pretty good. So it's like, I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Excessive takes too uh, must have been different than now, because now even directors will take one scene from one angle 30 to 50 times Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so back then though i mean i don't know how many they could have taken right and i mean again like we talked about that a little bit earlier in in some other episodes but would be really expensive to do exactly yeah and it clearly seems like and i don't i don't again i don't know if the look is entirely done based off of like having really nice film stock or Mm -hmm. if it's mostly just in the lighting and the fact that somehow dryer and his cinematographers are just like the greatest cinematographers ever. Right. But it seems like based off of how good that film still looks, like it would have mm-hmm. been pretty expensive film stock to have. Yes. He was given a budget of 7 million francs. Dang. Which is equal to like 7.7 7 million US dollars. Gotcha. Um, and then he constructed the whole set. So oh. it's like an octagon concrete set. It was like almost mm. all just stone and concrete because mm. he wanted it to look like the prison. Um, which was like part of a castle that she was kept in. So he was very good about remaining historically accurate. Like he definitely mm-hmm. tried to recreate everything in from the trial transcripts. Um, so I think they were probably just kind of in this like stone blob hmm. all the time <laughs> filming emotional scenes. That sounds rough. <laughs> it man. sounds kind of I mean, exhausting. I mean, the payoff is definitely there. Yeah. But yeah, that's all they needed, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and we talked right. about on the last episode, the Metropolis one about kind of the differences between like the realism and the kind of just like fanciful Mm -hmm. German expressionism or Mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, and how, you know, our modern sensibilities are much more tailored towards the ladybird kind of realism. Mm -hmm. This movie definitely has that to the nth degree and no surprise. It's a much more emotionally affecting film for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I said he was, um, really into contrast with mm. lighting. So the interrogators were always filmed with really, really heavy contrast. Mm. And then Joan was always filmed with really soft lighting and mm. he didn't let anyone wear any makeup. Mm. And then he was really deliberate on filming from the first scene to the last scene. Like he did not mm. jump around at all. Interesting. He filmed everything in order, huh. um, which I think with the emotional arcs that were going on, maybe paid off. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. So, and angles, obviously. Right. It does have some 
I think it would for definitely definitely for this movie, which is you know not very long and mm-hmm. has a very like small time scale, does make sense to do it mm-hmm. in the in a chronological order. For the I mean the performances at the very least, if it at all aided those performances, it was totally worth it because they are yeah really good. But I am I'm interested in um. Do you have any information? Sorry, that's kind of a a detour on the score because I saw on Criterion there were like three different scores that they had. Hmm. And the one that I watched um, was Voices of Light. It, uh, yeah. It was just like the, the main like version that. on there. Mm-hmm. And that was really good. And it That's felt cool. like it, it fit really nicely. Yeah. But I don't know that it was originally written for that film. Mm. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to look that up because I actually didn't see anything on that. Gotcha. Um, I think I, I watched the same version. I think. Okay. I think I watched whatever, whichever one's on HBO, which I think is sourced from Criterion. Yeah. I don't know which one I watched. That's, yeah. Um, Criterion actually has three different versions of the oh, movie. Really? And two, okay. they're just different scores. So oh, apparently okay. the guy from Portishead did one of the scores, oh. which is interesting. And then, oh man, I can't remember who did the other one. Hmm. But yeah, they're, I was looking at it earlier and Criterion just has like a bunch of different gotcha. scores for this movie, which is interesting enough that like i kind of actually want to see all three versions and just see how that changes the experience Mm -hmm. um but i i I assume that means that like this film didn't originally have its own specific score which is kind of weird based off of just like the small bit that we've heard from dryer you would think you'd want like a very specific score like true yeah lang had for metropolis yes it says that they actually just kind of bounced around between a couple of different scores for mm. its premieres gotcha and then they added like a specific one later on i think they just kept messing with the cuts and releases okay. kind of throughout the early 30s so gotcha. yeah so i think yeah there's a few it's yeah weird that they didn't actually come up with because i think a really intentional score with his very intentional emotional editing and directing would have been yeah made it punch even harder right it seems like that would have been the kind of thing he would have wanted but i mean i don't know maybe it wasn't in the budget or something with yeah but you said it was seven million approximately seven million u.s too right which yeah 7.7 million u.s dollars which what it would have adjusted for inflation is i was gonna say was that probably for quite the a time bit. or is that now i think probably I it was that seven million bit. francs for them which okay. equals to 7.7 million dollars so back then i guess i guess yeah, so, uh, yeah adjusted for inflation it's sure. quite a lot yeah, be quite yeah big, that yeah. is a lot but if he built like that entire set and did like a trillion different takes then mm-hmm. right. That probably would have used up the budget. It says later that Dreyer heard the soundtrack of Joseph Marie Loduca's version of the film, Hmm. which came out in the 50s. Hmm. And his score had like Bach and Albanoni and Vivaldi. Uh, And Dreyer, it says Dreyer disapproved. Uh, He did not like it. Hmm. Interesting. He appears not to have encountered any score that he considered definitive. (laughs) Gotcha. So he's just picky. Yeah, Yeah, maybe he just... Mm -hmm doesn't like anything yeah nothing's good enough (laughs) maybe not the nicest guy i cannot say (laughs) that's what it sounds like but certainly talented yes Yes, Mm -hmm. definitely this was his sixth feature film dang and he had done some short film work too but i think this was his best received film 
That makes sense. At least by that time, his other ones were not very popular. So mm. I'm not really sure why they asked him specifically to make it, but they I did. Guess they made the right choice. Yeah, she got a movie that so. people liked when it came out. Yeah. Mm. They well, and it said the society. It's like the French Society of Films, essentially, is what it is, mm. and they asked him to make a film for it, um, or for them, and they proposed for it to be either about like Marie Antoinette. Or Catherine de Medici, names, mm-hmm. or Joan of Arc. And he was like, heck yes, Joan of Arc, I'm doing that one. And then just read all the transcripts from her trials nice. for a year. <laughs> Dang. Wow. So he committed. That is cool. that is a lot of commitment. Yeah. That's awesome, though. Like, it, it, when that kind of thing is done properly, like, I don't think that films, like, period pieces need to all the time be 100% accurate because... Mm. Little Women 2019 is the best thing ever. But <laughs> when they are like just really solidly researched and, and well done like this, it definitely has a different kind of vibe that is that can be really impactful. Cause like, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely obviously kind of know the story of Joan of Arc, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the like emotional tie to like that era in history just feels like it's rarely there, you know? Yeah. Cause you kind of hear it in this like dry historical context and you never like actually think about like, Oh, that's a really dramatic and awful thing that like real people experienced. Right. And it's nice to have it put in that kind of context of like, yeah, no, this is just what happened. I'm not dramatizing it. Like this is, this is right. what it this is. This is realistic. As close yeah. as you can I said get, that yeah. They also bought out the rights to like a 1925 book on Joan of Arc to hmm. use, but then they didn't use like anything from it. <laughs> oh. He stuck to the transcripts and oh. didn't really use the Weird. book at all. Dang. But it's probably just because he focused so heavily on the trial itself. Right. That. Yeah. I don't yeah, think. Yeah. I, I thought too that they would go into other parts mm-hmm. of that That's story because I, I know there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. But then, yeah, just specifically focusing on the end basically is interesting. But yeah, let them dive really deep into that specific emotional conflict so right mm-hmm. and i think it was the right choice like i mm-hmm. i really like one location movies and movies that just have mm-hmm. a very like small time window i guess that right. they're taking place in mm-hmm. and i feel like if you do that properly it can be just kind of a, a way more emotional experience and honestly in a weird way feels like it makes better use of the fact that you have film because i mean we talked about that with the trip to the moon that like oh you can now now we have this medium of film and we can look at it as like I can I can do weird things and manipulate time mm-hmm. in ways that I couldn't normally do exactly yeah. with with theater or, mm-hmm. or something. But I honestly think that there's a lot that you can do with just a one location or a small time in film that lets you just like having having that I guess uh what's what's the word? Having that kind of strict setting. Mm. allows you to be way more creative in a bunch of different directions that I honestly just tend to find more interesting Mm -hmm. because most films don't do that, I guess. So if you're doing a film that has a trillion locations and in a bunch of different places, that's almost just like the norm enough that you aren't having to like think outside the box. Right. Yeah. Just, it's always just kind of that creative principle of like when you have limitations, you have to kind of find different ways of making that interesting like right. the little bit of mm-hmm. stuff that you have to work with you got to work with it more because you can't rely on a lot of things exactly and that's i mean that's also something that 
I think people talk about in a lot of different mediums. Like mm-hmm. I know Jack White of the White Stripes, that's like his core tenant of creativity that he talks about all the time. Like he's like, I could buy a nice guitar, but I only use really crappy guitars and like <laughs> out of tune pianos and stuff because the yeah. limitations of not having something that just plays super nicely forces me to be creative. Mm. It's interesting. And, you know, obviously doesn't work for everybody but he tends to get pretty good results with that and he's, i do think it's a really a interesting way to guy. approach it he's been okay mm-hmm. <laughs> he's done okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's done all right for himself <laughs> kind uh, of diving more into that something i was watching the video i watched on the movie just talked about how it was kind of the first time in film we saw the use of like emotional contagion hmm. which is just a fancy way of talking about empathy mostly and I, I know that we were seeing more acting even in metropolis like you you got to see his facial expressions and everything but just the close-ups of her going through all of it like just how heavy the emotions were like that's such an intimate acting performance and it was i mean for acting like a lot of the styles were still very theater based which is like big acting mm-hmm. and i yeah, think that's... this was kind of one of the first heavy films where it was just up close and personal and people experienced that mm-hmm. emotional depth and empathy with a an actor for the first time yeah. yeah that's definitely what it made me think when you mentioned like metropolis and the other stuff we've watched it's mm-hmm. like it is compelling but kind of over the top yes in an effort to sell point of Mm -hmm. what is what they're trying to act out Mm -hmm. to the camera um but yeah whereas this is allows itself to be a little more subtle about it and yeah just relying on the face but not in an exaggerated way yeah it wasn't too dramatized it was pretty dramatic it was yeah but but it wasn't it didn't feel like it was it wasn't fake yes i think she was incredible Mm -hmm. and yeah just even watching her eyes through the whole thing is but that's all you need in film mm-hmm. when all you can, I mean, especially with all his close-ups, like right. that's what you're watching for. And that's just kind of how human humans pick up on intimate experiences like that. So I thought it was iconic. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. And a lot of people like talking about the uh, shaved head. Yeah. Oh yeah. Interesting. That was. Curious. That was there. commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, short and got shorter yeah exactly yeah it was already yeah it was already short um she was like all on board for it and it kind of made me think about Les Mis when Anne Hathaway Mm. actually like shaved her head for the movie and everyone was like oh my god Anne Hathaway shaved her head she's like such a dedicated actor and like Renee's over here 1928 I did it 90 years ago. Exactly. The same thing. I was like, she did it first and she it's was so awesome. Funny. I don't know. I just Amen. think, again, not, no costumes, no theatrical performance. Yeah. It's like, you're in a concrete block crying and yeah. they shaved your head and it was awesome. <laughs> so much dedication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just everything. It really like, I, I've, the reason why I stuck it on this list without ever having seen it is because, I, well, one, I was looking at movies from the 20s that would be a good fit. But mm-hmm. then second, I go on to like the top 250 narrative films on Letterboxd. And that is number 28. Hmm. And uh, it's got a 4.4. And I, that's just 
that's ridiculously up there. So I was like, is it, is it, I wonder if this movie really isn't like the, you know, top 30 movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a lot of times I'll watch those and I'll be like, yeah, intellectually, I recognize this is a very good film, but this one, I think more than any of the other ones that I've seen, like even really most of the films on the top of this list, it just, yeah. Yes. It deserves that spot. Yes. Yeah. Works really <laughs> a lot. Well. Oh yeah. I, I, it's just as emotionally effective as it is intellectually effective. Mm. And that is rare. It's mm-hmm. very rare. Like there are a lot of movies I like that I'm like, oh, it's got problems, but like it makes me feel things or I don't feel anything, but it's really good. Right. And this, this manages both and does it in a way that is so immersive that you don't feel the, what, you know, would normally be like the awkwardness of silent films for somebody mm-hmm. of our generation. It's just not there. Right. Because you don't need that much dialogue when mm-hmm. you've got just all of the performances are just so solidly done mm-hmm. without words. I liked some of what they did with that too. I don't know if you had more to add to that, but just, I, I still really like seeing the way that they write silent dialogue mm-hmm. in movies like this. Like we've noted before, like scenes where dialogue is just kind of implicit like on both sides. Right. And I like that they did some stuff here too, where it was implicit on one side Mm. where Mm. you would just like see one of the guys ask a question and she would answer. And it's like, well, you don't really need to know what the question is. If you just know that you would answer that question in a certain way. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, you know, they, they didn't do any more than they had to do. And that's not a huge point, but I liked it anyway. Mm hmm. No, it's really interesting. You could put in all that extraneous detail, but like there's no need for it. So, again, like just another thing that I just really appreciate with certain Mm -hmm. films is when they are very particular about what they're choosing to let the audience know and what they're assuming the Mm -hmm. audience can figure out for themselves. Yeah. If you strike the proper balance with that, it will just make your film far more interesting. And and that that's one thing that I think actually was holding me back a bit on Metropolis. The second mm. watch was like, there's so much dialogue, yeah. And in a silent film, that does actually distract from the pacing, yeah, quite a to lot. Take a break from the visuals to get to that. So right, again, just so interesting because like with modern film, a movie with less dialogue is a slower movie. Mm. In a silent mm. film, a movie with less dialogue is in some ways a faster movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It just kind of depends on the emphasis, yeah. Because like we're used to getting both at the same time now. Mm-hmm. We're used to kind of having or having to pay attention to both sides of things, right? Constantly. Uh, whereas, like, yeah, maybe there was more emphasis with silent stuff on making sure the visuals are engaging enough to, right, keep you in just with that. And I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. For some reason, I'm just it, speaking it, words. Yeah, <laughs> it, it for some reason brings up uh, Lowry's a ghost story. Mm. a little bit for me right. which is you know a 70 minute movie it's really yeah. short but it feels like it's three hours mm-hmm. not in a <laughs> bad way there's like almost no dialogue in that movie it feels very long it's very slow it's very drawn out the visuals are really good mm-hmm. but there's almost no dialogue and that makes it feel super long but this movie felt like it was 20 minutes and was 10 minutes longer than a ghost story mm-hmm. and had even less dialogue potentially mm-hmm. like pretty comparable yeah but only because a ghost story's dialogue is concentrated and right. kind of long bursts sometimes like, 
two that monologues in that yeah, movie. Right, exactly. Yeah. So maybe they're comparable in like word count. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and Joan of Arc gets more spread out. And it just but not too much. Yeah. It flows really nicely for mm-hmm. for what it's doing. And again, I'm just happy that silent films are not hard to get into. Yeah. Surprisingly. They're, they're yeah. It's been fun watching yes. how different they can be too. Mm-hmm. They just don't have, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I expected there to be a lot more difficulty getting into it. Mm. Cause I mean, I, I'd enjoyed Chaplin, but I thought it was, you know, because I like slapstick comedy <laughs> right. pretty much. But it, I've actually just found that silent films in general, once I've just get into it, like with a lot of other genres of film that I've tried to get into, once I've just seen a few of them or I'm just like 30 minutes into whatever movie, if it's a good movie, I don't really notice those sort of things as much anymore. Right. Like it just kind of, it just flows naturally. Yeah. And I, it's probably you know. the same thing that people might experience with like subtitled films now. Right. Or mm-hmm. it's just like, ah, oh, it's just, if you're not used to that, it's like, of course it's like, oh, it's different. It'll be hard to get into. But like, if you're used to it, it's like, whatever. It just becomes a natural viewing process. Yeah. And that's kind of the same thing probably with this stuff. It's different, but it's not bad. Right. Like, like all those people with Parasite, they're like, why would yeah, Parasite exactly. be the best picture of last year? It's like, you have to read it. It's like, it's not <laughs> that bad. It's like, well, if you tried, yeah. Like I've gotten a lot of people to start watching subtitled movies mm-hmm. and they're like, oh no, I would never do that. It sucks. Yeah. You have to read like, it. And yeah. it's boring oh, and you can't focus even, on the visuals. I didn't even think about that. Like having Parasite as such a high profile foreign film mm-hmm. as like your gateway to foreign film. It is. That's great. Yeah. Totally. Because everybody's curious about it. Yeah. Everybody wants to watch it. As they mm-hmm. should be. And then eventually they get into it like, oh. This is so bad. I didn't even <laughs> really notice that I was just reading subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes natural. You, you know how to read. It? Reading, we, we, we read fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it might feel awkward at first doing it, but it's really not that But bad. we exist on the internet mm-hmm. and, like, on Twitter and stuff. So we just, all of us know how to read well enough or should yeah. know how to read well enough that it, yeah. it doesn't. And, and if you're trying to go quickly, like, you can take in a line at a glance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's not bad. So. Well, and also, anyway, what was so cool about Parasite and the subtitle films? Because, yeah, after watching Parasite, I would be more open to watching movies with subtitles Mm -hmm. because it also broke sorry but our generation kind of sucks and like we have and this is me included have a really bad habit of like checking my phone Mm. or getting distracted if i put something on the tv or movie and during parasite i like didn't touch my phone i was just so engaged like i didn't want to miss a single line Mm -hmm. it was engaging in a whole different way which Mm -hmm. does make a difference yeah definitely i think it was great movies when i'm fully engaged the whole time versus me like breaking it up looking at my phone it's yeah. a very different experience. Oh, yeah. And, and Parasite helps. wrecked me. So. Yes. Anyway. As it should. Excited for that one. We can talk yeah. about Parasite <laughs> in a long time. It's going to be a while. you know, give it two years. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. Wow. <laughs> Jinx. Anyway. I owe you a soda. You anyway. Really do. Um, Joan. Joan, uh, I wanted to like plug in the side note because I thought it was so interesting. Um, I don't think they even really have a whole lot of information on this. So it went through a ton of cuts and edits and was like being re-premiered around different countries. And um, it just said for several decades after it was released, it was viewed in all these re-edited versions. Um, But they were just trying to like eventually restore his original cut because the Society Mm. of Film in France was like, it's too long, change it. So they kept messing with it. 
and they didn't even restore the original cut till 1981 when they found a full version of it in Gustad Hospital, which is a mental institution in Norway. Whoa. That's the only place they ever found it. So that was, and that was in the eighties. So crazy. that's when they restored the original, like that's crazy. Dryers, I think they original made that cut. Note yeah, about that and one. they don't know. I don't think they really know how it got there. <laughs> so it's like, okay, that's someone's insane. over here in a mental hospital with the original cut of Passion of Joan of Arc. <laughs> that's funny that they wanted to cut that down. Like it's so short anyway. Yeah. In our twenties, like it's like nothing. Yeah, I'm by not really sure at least. by like, what tiny standard they wanted him to make it shorter. But I think he actually fought them on it. Hmm. Um. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, of course he did. Um, but just said there was a lot of pressure for him to keep hmm. cutting it down. So hmm. I think it was like premiered. And then after that, it was just kind of chopped up for years. And then it was in a mental institution. Weird. Hanging out. I think it's kind of fitting considering how it looked like with the concrete walls yeah. and her emotional <laughs> yeah. journey through it all. It kind of fits. It does. Yeah. And I obviously it must have been like pretty well preserved there yeah because it you know didn't look like no, a mess like right. those 16 millimeter clips from like yeah. metropolis. metropolis totally yeah. yeah no i thought it looked really good it was very crisp looking mm-hmm. hmm. maybe the reason why they wanted him to cut it down is because they recognized that it was i think one minute longer than francis ha <laughs> and so they were like uh oh, if it's longer than they were francis like no ha, sir man I'm going to need you to uh, hey, oh, you can't take care that. of this. I mean, you know, if you if you cut out the, um, the what's it called? Oh, credits. It's been oh. so long since we've actually watched movies with credits. You know. Opening credits. But anyway, if you yes. cut out the credits or, of Francis uh, Ha. Oh, yeah. Then Joan of Arc is longer. So that's pretty rough. You know, and, and Francis Ha is, is known for being a very lengthy movie. totally (laughs) and i i'm always yeah i really like i think most of my favorite films are either the really really long ones or the really really Mm -hmm. short ones Mm -hmm. yeah like if it's a three-hour epic i'm like heck yeah and if it's an 80 minute like just very punchy movie those those are the two extremes that really work and that is i think probably most of the movies on this list are either really (laughs) long or a surprisingly very short really short yeah so How long is our longest one again? Oh gosh, let me Four let me look at it. Ish. I think it's around 250 minutes. <sighs> so you know we can do it. Very long, <laughs> but I th- I think it's a brighter summer day is our longest movie. Four hours of snacks. Yeah, we will definitely have to actually watch that one together mm-hmm. because will nobody be? in the right mind. Is that past our that. banking yeah. period? 237 minutes. Ooh. Still quite long. Mm, yeah. Is that after we're, uh, is that when we're back to solo movies? Is that far enough out? Yeah. Like, oh, just that's in time? 91. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Duh. Although Gone with the Wind, I think we do have to do that's while true. we're banking. Okay. It's going to be rough. Oof. Uh, I mean, just no, sorry. We wouldn't bank. Of... We're we're very professional and we know you want yeah. uh, very timely Stuff. reports. So we no would breaks. we would never do that. And honestly, we if anybody was that. ever going to bank podcast episodes, like really just, I don't know, fuck Pathetic. them, I guess. You know? <laughs> Disappointed in all of you. Yeah. Really, really <laughs> hate podcasts that bank episodes. It's just the worst, you know. 
Yeah, I'm sure both of them. you guys have heard me rant about that all the time, but yeah. it's disgusting. I can only think of the one. Disgusting. The one. I don't know. Just the Auntie Donna podcast, yeah. I guess. Oh my god! Because they really liked to talk. They about really it. did, though. They did like eight episodes, like in a yeah. row. It was wild. But you know, if I'm being honest, that was definitely the best era of the Auntie Donna podcast, okay. which would be a controversial statement if anybody listened to that podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Gosh dang it! Anyway, good what times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, sorry, my report is all over the place. It's not at all. It, you've got all of the interesting information. Oh, good. You've, you've got all the things. Because I was going to talk a little bit more about Dryer. I would love that. Because sure. an interesting dude. Yes, from my personal nerdiness, he was a very psychological person, and I think that's interesting. And I'd kind of be interested to see his other films. Also, I can't read. It was his ninth feature film, not his sixth. I'm gotcha. sorry. I'm sorry. Um, You're fired. I know. I'll just <laughs> see myself out and go home. Even though I'm home. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> oh my Exposed. gosh. Now they know where we're recording. Ah. We just break in anytime. <laughs> Dang it. Um, he was a journalist at first, hmm. and then he got into the film industry just as a writer of title cards hmm. for other silent films. And he was like, I like this. I'm going to write my own screenplay instead of your title cards. And he did and made his first movies just with his own budget. Um, But it was like all his themes were like, I think his first one it said was a surreal meditation on fear. Hmm. Um, Like he was really big on like mood and atmosphere and all of his stories. And then he did one and I kind of want to watch this one. Um, It's called Day of Wrath. And the theme was paranoia surrounding witch hunts. Hmm. Interesting. So he was just, and then I mean, Joan of Arc is obviously super emotional and all about how the audience was going to feel that empathy. Right. So I think he had like a really cool insight to how humans function and the brain. Hmm. But he was pretty artistic with how he went about it. Definitely that in Joan of Arc as well. Yeah, totally. And I think I just, I don't know, that felt ahead of its time a little bit because if you think about it psychology wasn't even hardly a thing at that time right like psychology is considered a very new science so mm. he was kind of exploring different ideas that like weren't really talked stuff. about yet yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. oh man it looks like he also directed a what is it vampire vampire yeah that's the meditation on nice. fear one oh, yeah cool. that i've heard a lot about that movie i am not desperately sure want to see it 19th Thirty-two. Yeah, cool. that was his next one after Joan of Arc. Hmm. Apparently, an early horror movie would be a good time for the Patreon <gasps> exclusive, potentially ASMR podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I will suffer through while also helping you relax. <laughs> yes. Sounds like a good idea. I don't know. <laughs> I may not be able to relax, but you can. <laughs> if you're interested, you can email us at movieoverloadpod at gmail dot com or uh movie overload pod underscore on twitter movie overload pod on instagram our website movieoverloadpod.com also has a form yep you could let us Lots know if you're interested in that and if you're not well fuck you <laughs> i'm really nice and that's to all we have to say yeah. <laughs> i don't think i'm gonna gain us any supporters no i feel like it's good yeah. No, I mean, as long understand. as we're not like actually mean to people. I mean, you know, you can actually be mean to people. 
I mean, I I might be. Don't. You don't know, as the listener, really what I'm like in my daily life. Yeah, true. So. I mean, if I'm nice to someone all the time, I probably am not comfortable around them. That's a good point. You know? So it's yeah. like, my yeah. friends, I give them a hard time. That's a good time. point. See, I'm just showing that I'm really comfortable with all of you Yeah, listeners. we just like really like you guys. I want yeah. you guys to like get it together. <laughs> right. Fuck you guys. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. So. Good stuff. Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc. A movie. A, a classic human being. I didn't really know how I felt. Like, I, I again, like, I, I, I knew the story and it didn't have any kind of emotional attachment. But I also right. didn't have, like, a very firm stance on, like, obviously, burning somebody at the stake, probably rough. Mm-hmm. Just but a also, little. I was like, but, like, is she crazy? Like, I didn't really fully understand it. And this makes a very firm case for, like, nah, Joan of Arc is, like, the best person and she's really like following what she believes and right. the church kind of sucked right. which that's what I, I took from it too yeah sorry did you want to keep no no go ahead. i just the thing that definitely stood out to me with this is like it doesn't matter whether what she's saying is true or not it just stood out to me that like they're freaked out by her because she's like saying things that go against their authority i guess on like religious matters and so she's not conforming to that expected Mm -hmm. way of being and like she's not acting like doing womanly things she's defying like the gender roles and stuff and religious roles and like there's all this stuff that she's kind of going against and it scares them and they're like uh i guess we have to murder you right like oh (laughs) And it is so, super interesting to watch a movie from 1928 yeah. that's like fully on the side of somebody who is like right. cross-dressing and mm-hmm. yeah. not fulfilling right. normal gender roles and villainizing wanting to exactly. enforce those gender roles. Yeah. And they call attention to just very briefly. She has that line. They're like, wow, I guess we're going to like execute her. And she's like, but I haven't hurt anyone. It's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether she's lying or not. She hasn't done anything really like ethically wrong right she's just hanging out i mean she's doing important stuff and obviously there's more influence in her story but like she's not causing harm Mm -hmm. other than just being something unusual she's a threat yes to our control she's not normal killer quote and so they're like (laughs) all the people in authority are like whoa hey she's different get her out of here yeah and then they did and then the other people freaked out about it and it was great hell no man it's like the foundation of every dystopian story ever Mm -hmm. france is the (laughs) it still happens thank you france is the foundation of every dystopian story (laughs) that is true (laughs) she's pretty awesome though like yeah yeah, her dedication to like joan of arc as a person not the actress the actress was also dedicated because didn't she sign the confession? Right. That's what I was going to say, too. And then went she back like and was like, saves herself and then not unsaves okay. herself. She's like, hear me that. out. Yeah. Comes back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it makes it very, even more intentional than it was before yeah. to walk away from the punishment of that and to walk back into it willingly. Just right. like, no. It was like, I what an identity, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's not it's who happening. I am. I have to go follow through yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. Oof. It's because uh, I was like, what wild. would I do? I'd be like freaked out. Be like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Right. Hmm. She was, yeah. she had her convictions. Totally. Stuck through. She's a badass. Seriously. I want to be like Joan of Arc when I grow up. Heck yeah. I have a lot of appreciation for 
drier really not being afraid to take a stance mm-hmm. <laughs> just like nah this is exact this is what i feel about this situation yeah this is what's fucked here mm-hmm. and just feeling free to paint it in that light and not having to do the like ah it really depends on your interpretation and how yeah. you feel and she's yeah. all like no listen to me right <laughs> he's like this is just messed up this yep. is a bad situation yeah. look at what the catholic church did during this era and you know not a great time pretty much most of history catholic history is is rough bro when when it like pans through a bunch of altar boys i got really sad yeah Uh, Mm. we don't have to we don't have to go into all of the catholic church's atrocities you know i don't like it but uh this does not paint the church in a good light that's um, true. Which, you know, is very fair. It's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff around mm-hmm. that time for sure that was questionable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. Some some questionable things. That research kind of painted him in a bad light, being like, Wow, he didn't listen to Renee and Renee was so great. But it's like he had done a year to a year and a half of just studying the trial. So it's mm-hmm. like he knew <laughs> he knew what was accurate and what he wanted. Right. And that she was capable of it, obviously. So yeah, definitely should go down. And I think kind of sort of has mm-hmm. until I started like reading about this movie in particular. I hadn't really heard of her very much, but yeah. really I think deserves to go down in history as like one of the all time greatest performances. Oh, yeah. That's like one of the first things I read. It was just it's listed as like one of the finest performances in cinematic history. Like she's a legend. I don't know how she managed to produce so many tears. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> That must oh, have hurt. That's the thing I couldn't find. I was I was trying to look it up specifically. I kept Googling the question um, of how long it took him to film it, and I mm. couldn't find, hmm. unless I'm just blind or dumb, I could not find how long it took him to film mm-hmm. this. I didn't find anything on but, it either. Yeah, I didn't find that anywhere. Uh, but I know it probably wasn't short. And yeah, she cried a lot, so... Mm-hmm. But I mean, maybe working with him made it easy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, it was man. like it was a hard time. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if she felt like it was worth it in the end. Mm. You know, like being kind of immortalized on screen. Yeah, because I think that was her only major film role. Mm-hmm. She's a stage person for sure. Maybe that's why she didn't do any more. Afterwards. She's like, all traumatized. Oh, the film is like, I don't, I don't men- know. She was the one in the mental institution. <laughs> ah, man. I don't know. Maybe. It is possible. Mm-hmm. What if Dreyer himself ended up there in Oslo and was just like, I guess I got, I guess I got a film reel with me. I guess I'm crazy. I'll go hang out in Norway. I want there to be some like weird documentary about yeah. that, like retracing like where that film reel came back from. And yeah. I, to be honest, that's probably not the kind of story that anybody's going to like jump at the chance to make a documentary out of. But, oh gosh, I want it. It'd be so interesting. Be I would really watch cool. it. And also said Renee was 35 when mm. she played Joan of Arc, who was supposed to be 19. Mm. Uh, so I have you, hope again for my film career. Has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's All <great>. good. <laughs> also, they started doing Academy Awards the year after. Hmm. Ah. That was started in 1929. Yeah, so I wonder. Best foreign picture, if that even existed as a category back true, then. True. That's mm-hmm. true. But holy cow, she deserved something. Mm-hmm. 
gosh. Like, Indeed. oh my word. <laughs> yep. Okay. This is what I thought. And I wanted to double check myself really fast. So he saw her perform in like a stage comedy huh. and was like, oh. In a comedy. Yeah. He was like, I'm not crazy about her. It's okay. And I guess he saw her the next day. I was like, JK, I think you might uh, be able to pull this off. And that's when he was like, can you take off your makeup and act this out for me? Hmm. And hired her. And then after, she went straight back into light stage comedies. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and I think that uh, maybe that was her therapy. <laughs> Dang. You know, I, that is interesting, actually. And that is something I, I feel like we've talked about a few times, maybe off pod. But how comedic actors are usually the ones that can just really nail dramatic roles mm -hmm. even if they're not like yeah well i like Sometimes to think of adam sandler i was gonna say we're adam sandler and jim carrey fans yeah exactly that's what i thought of and i don't really and this is my person i'm gonna get so you're gonna get so many hate tweets first these things <laughs> that i say here not, the hate tweets. not a big adam sandler fan in his comedy right. i'm not either don't really yeah. like jim carrey's comedic sensibilities oh, personally okay. does not generally that. give me a chuckle however both of them have like some of my all-time favorite dramatic performances. That's fair. Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love, in Uncut Gems, both brilliant. He's also good in Merowith stories for yes. sure. Mm. But I'm a big fan. It's not my favorite performance. <laughs> anyway, Punch Drunk Love is like he's a completely different person yeah. and he's brilliant in that totally. movie. Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine in The Truman Show, phenomenal. So good. Both of them are just like incredible dramatic actors that generally just do kind of ridiculous comedies that you right. know don't maybe have the same kind of artistic value right yeah and those comedic actors have like pretty heavy dark mental spaces like robin williams mm. yeah that's another a really one good that's like yeah. really really i mean mm -hmm. Dark mental spaces. Jim Carrey, I think, has dealt with a lot of really heavy stuff. And now, obviously, he's more public about that. But it also says Renee dealt with mental illness and, like, an eating disorder her whole life. Mm -hmm. um, she actually died of the self-imposed restrictive diet Yikes. is how she died. But oh. everyone knew her as this comedic actress. And then she has this one great dramatic role mm -hmm. where it all came out. Mm. And I just wonder where they, like, where they make that tie to comedy. Yeah. It's very interesting that that's kind of a theme. Yeah. Yeah. And it does somewhat make me wonder about Will Ferrell. Because mm. he yeah. does have like some decent dramatic roles. Yeah. A handful. But then he'll just do the most soulless, crappy comedy of all time. <laughs> just like. Oh, Will, are you okay? <laughs> Has anybody checked on you in a while? And, yeah. But like you look at like him in interviews and he just seems dead inside that's so sad <laughs> so oh hmm. was that is that just me like i watched the uh, stuff he'll like come on the tonight show or something oh. it's just like are you are you okay i don't remember really seeing those i'm not sure i've seen him he, he did a little bit for holmes and watson and he just doesn't feel like he's but it was holmes and watson it was holmes so. and watson so he was probably just dead inside from having made that movie yeah. <laughs> i mean everybody was dead inside from having to have seen it mm-hmm he made Elf and then he just spiraled. Yeah. Well, I, I also really like... <laughs> I, Stranger Than Fiction is one of my favorite movies mm. of all time. And that that's a more dramatic role for him. And yeah. he pulls it off super well. I have I have a list of a bunch of movies of like, uh, when comedic actors do something dramatic and it's great. Ah. Like, uh, I mean, I think Ben Stiller has done a bunch of those. Like, yeah. you know, he's good in Greenberg. He's good in, once again, Merowitz. He's really good in... Um, 
another one of my favorite movies, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yes. Which kind of fits good stuff. Well, yeah, no. He More like serious, I guess. does enough yeah. dramatic roles that he's like, he, he's just kind of not exactly a comedic actor, not exactly a dramatic actor. He just kind of does yeah. both of them. I can yeah. definitely take him seriously in both roles. Mm-hmm. Whereas watching Jim Carrey in a drama for the first time, it tripped, it tripped really me up a trippy. little bit. It was really yeah. hard, which I think is what he gets frustrated with. He's like, no one takes me seriously. I mm-hmm. don't want to be in your like typecast anymore. And then he's like, okay, I'll do Sonic. Yeah, he's like, oh, but I'm still funny. <laughs> like, I think they enjoy it. They just want more diversity, and yeah, I understand. Sure. Right. But yeah, Ben Stiller pulls that off very well. I guess Owen Wilson has done some more serious things yeah. every once in a while. Marley and Me. Mar- it's <laughs> Marley different. And, me. Mm-hmm. and uh... <laughs> Oh wait, no, we can't mention I was that movie. Say yeah, yeah was never like, mind. Oh, Fuck Woody is, Allen. There's Fuck Woody movie. Allen. I still kind of like that. Wait, movie. which movie? Is I liked Midnight it, Paris. and then I. What's that? What's called? Uh, yeah, Midnight, Midnight in Paris. Paris. Yeah, oh, I, I have not I, seen that. I I liked it the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it, I just could really feel the Woody Allen coming Ooh. through, and yeah, it killed it from to me to the extent that I sort of actively don't like that movie. Which sucks because it's like, man, if somebody else made that movie yeah. and it didn't have just the ridiculous, disgusting pretentiousness, <laughs> then it it would have been so fun. I'll have to maybe like if Bombach made that movie, it would have been like my favorite movie. There you go. Anyway, I we don't have to talk that. about the douchebaggery of yes, Woody Allen. Woody Allen. It's yucky. Girls. So, well that that was a that was a good time. Do we have more? Uh, more topics to discuss as in regards to the passion of Joan of Arc or are we ready to wrap it up? That's pretty much it. This one actually I feel like had less information available than a trip to the moon when Dang. I researched that. Mm-hmm. I guess that I makes sense. I feel like more people had actually done more research on trip to the moon. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Just wait till you see my next report. Ew. It might be really small. Ooh. It's okay. It's, oh it's kind yeah. of Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm failing. I don't know. It's going to be okay. I just wanted to know how long it took him to film it. And yeah. I was like looking for that <laughs> and then watching videos on close-ups and acting. <laughs> so that was the quality of this report. But It was good. It was good. I, I very much enjoyed it. And uh, I would say that this is probably just going to be the most challenging era for mm. finding yeah. information in general. True. And, you know, from there, when we get to, I don't know, talking about Inception or something, it's like, right. oh, there's probably oh, yeah. a lot of information about I've got this. Like oh, yeah. My Blu-ray with like 10 featurettes about the making of. Right. I've seen at least one of those. I watch one all scene, of those. Which is really fun. Anyway, I'm not going to get carried away into talking about Inception. We should talk about La La Land. Oh. oh. I've watched all those featurettes. Hmm. I love him. Uh. Wait. I feel like there's a prominent actor in La La Land who maybe does dramatic and and I just roles. feel I like I, I would marry name. that person. Ryan? Would, Ryan? Is it Ryan Gosling? Ryan? Re- no, I think it's Reynolds. <laughs> I'd marry him too, but oh, we're, let's go back to Gosling. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> nice segue. Excellent plug. <laughs> we nice. haven't talked about Chaplin. Are you okay? No. Do you, need, like, do you need something? You just said before we started that we were going to talk about H.G. Wells and then we didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Disappointed. Well, we're making too many plugins for ourselves. We got to keep up with all of these. We got to anyway. keep up with all of the little baby. They're not even exactly jokes. They're just kind of things. They're just very important topics we need to address yeah. on the regular. Right. It's it's in the nature of podcasting. Yes. Fuck Woody Allen. 
Yes. Ryan Gosling fucks. Exactly. Oh, baby. Uh, so good. <laughs> All right. Cool beans. Well, thanks Bye. for joining us, folks. Um, we already plugged everything earlier, so I'm yeah. just, I'm probably not going to bother again. Uh, no, they know where we are. Don't hate tweet us. That's it. Don't hate tweet us. Go watch this movie if you haven't, you coward. And as we say here at the end of every episode of Movie Overload. I'm I'm pantomiming (laughs) a single tear running down my face. (laughs) Wow, I feel like I was watching the movie all over again. It was so emotional. (laughs) So powerful. (laughs) Wow. Academy Awards. Sorry, I couldn't remember anything this time again. So, copped out. Peace. Peace out. Good fools. <laughs> <laughs>